sorry that my back is turned to you guys, but can everyone hear me? That wasn't a, I get better responses in Kid Town. Can everyone hear me? Thank you. So today is a very special day, and so I'm going to use some very special things to help me tell the story, but I'm going to need your help too. Is that okay? What is this? <gasps> yeah. Who got to hunt for Easter eggs? <gasps> oh my goodness. What was inside your Easter eggs? Great. Okay. We're going to start. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey. Find my eyes, please. Find my eyes. Thank you. Okay. We're going to start with our first egg, and it's going to start us off. Does everyone remember last week when we talked about a very special Sunday called Palm Sunday? Yeah? Okay. Well, let's find out what's in the first egg. Okay, in the first egg we have, what does this look like to you? A donkey. a donkey. Why could there be a donkey in the first egg? <gasps> yes, Mabel? Yes, Mabel said because Jesus rode into, a rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's very good. Yes, Palm Sunday reminds us of Jesus' triumphal entry, right? They shouted things like, what did they say when he rode it? What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna. <laughs> Who remembers what Hosanna means? Does it mean? Yes, Mabel. Yes, it means praise, right? Okay. So that's the first day. So then Jesus had a really special meal with his followers. It was called the Last Supper. Yeah. So I have this egg here. Who knows what's inside of this one? Who can guess? <gasps> There's a cup inside of it. That's right. Yeah. This represents Jesus' last supper. It was a really special meal that he had with his followers. Okay? So he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take this and eat. This is my Yes, this is my body. Very good, right? And then he took a cup, and he poured it, and he said, this is my blood spilled for you, right? And Jesus' disciples didn't know what that meant yet. They were a little confused, but we're going to find out later what that means. Now I have a silver egg, okay? And inside of it, not yet. We're getting there. I have coins, right? Some of the people in the town didn't believe that Jesus was God's son, yeah? And so they wanted to get rid of him because they didn't understand what he was doing. So one of Jesus' followers named Judas agreed to betray Jesus for silver coins. And so he betrayed Jesus. And he went up to Jesus with these enemies, and he said, Rabbi. Now, who remembers what rabbi means? Yes. Teacher. Yes, it means teacher. 
And he said, teacher, and he gave him a kiss on the cheek. And then the enemies knew that that was the one that they were supposed to take, so they took him. And they took him into custody, and they brought him to a man named Pontius Pilate. Yeah? And Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus was not guilty, but he gave the people a choice. And so he said, who should I release? What should I do with Jesus? And the people said to crucify Jesus. Now I have a purple egg. (laughs) And inside I have a crown of thorns. And they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head because Pontius Pilate knew that they called him king of the Jews. And so they used this to make fun of him and to persecute him. Now, I have a plain egg, and inside, I have a cross. It's a cross made of nails. They nailed Jesus to a cross, and it was very sad. But Jesus knew that this had to happen, right? Because this is what had to happen so that our sins could be paid for, and he knew that. And so they hung him on a cross. And when he was on that cross, they made fun of him more. And with his last breath, he said, it is finished. And that meant that our sin had been paid for, right? Now, something very special happened when Jesus died. There was a big curtain in the temple. And do you know what happened to that, to that curtain? Does anyone know what happened to it? Yes. Oh, it ripped. Yes, does anyone know why it ripped? Yeah, Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah, Deke. Yes, yes, so Duke said that it broke the boundary between God and his people, and that's right. (laughs) Jesus had done the impossible. He did something called reconcile, and he reconciled us with God, and this means that he made our relationship right with God just as he promised he would. He made that promise a long, long time ago. Does anyone remember who he made that very first promise to? Yeah. Adam and Eve. Eve, That's right. He promised way back then that he was going to send someone to save us. And this was God's rescue plan from the very beginning. So they rolled a stone in front of it because they were afraid that Jesus' followers would take his body and then they would tell people that he had risen just like he said he would. So they put a really big stone in front of it so that no one could get in or out. But then some of Jesus' followers went to the tomb to visit him, and they were very sad. But what they saw really confused them. 
the stone was rolled away. That really big, heavy stone was gone, and there was an angel. Does anyone know what the angel said? <gasps> yes. First, first, the angel said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he said, why do you search for the living among the dead? Because the tomb was empty, like this egg. There's nothing inside. And Jesus wasn't there. And why wasn't Jesus there? Because he had risen. That's right. Yeah. Death had been defeated, and the wages of sin had been paid. And we were made right with God. And Jesus was alive. And that's the story. So for everyone in the fellowship hall who can't hear... Thank you for helping me tell the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. Happy Easter. If you Wow. Wow. Uh, let's give it up for Miss Liv, huh? And the kids, very impressive. <laughs> yes. Well, this morning, guys, we're going to be uh, in, uh, in Mark reading the account of Jesus' uh, resurrection. But we're going to do uh, kind of the setup for this morning, like we've been doing uh, all, all spring. So if you've been with us at all this spring, you know that we've been talking about uh, different stories from Jesus' life where he interacts with, uh, with, peop- with the people around him. And we've been asking, what about these stories makes you curious about Jesus? That's kind of been the theme of this sermon series is, is curiosity. And so we've been asking at the beginning uh, of, of each sermon after the text is read, what from this passage are you curious about? And we're gonna do that this morning. So Julie is gonna come up and Julie is gonna read our passage for us here out of Mark 16. And after she's done, I'm gonna ask you, uh, what in this passage are you curious about? Okay? Great. I don't think it's, is it on? There we go. Is that on? Yeah. Mark 16, one through eight. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they, could, they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw 
that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they were and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thanks, Julie. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that you are risen and that as our risen, as our risen God, that you desire to speak with us. We pray that you would do that for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what from this passage are you curious about? What questions do you have based on what we just had read? Who is Salome? Yeah. You guys who have been here, you know most Sundays. This is on you now. You know the people who are new. We're not. We're not expecting this from them. But you're welcome to, obviously. But come on, guys. What were the spices? How did the angel roll the stone away? Why were they alarmed? Why were they bringing spices in the first place? Why do they want to anoint a dead person? Yeah, so, okay, uh, there are so many questions that we have as we come to this passage. And the point of doing this exercise is just to remind us that what we're doing here uh, is not a show right? That us coming with our questions and with our curiosity about Jesus is exactly what this morning is for. And what we're going to draw kind of out of the text this morning is we're going to focus briefly, (laughs) I promise briefly, on the event of the resurrection itself, okay? And then the impact or the implications of the resurrection and kind of land the plane in the invitation that this event has for us. So the event of the resurrection the impact or the implications of the resurrection, and then the invitation of the resurrection. Okay, so this this narrative here in Mark 16, right, it it picks up for us right after the crucifixion of Jesus. And you heard Liv as she was walking the kids through the story talk about the different elements of Jesus' trial, his death, and his burial. And the three women who are mentioned here at the beginning of this passage, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they were women who were there at the foot of the cross. That they watched Jesus crucified and they watched Jesus be buried in a tomb. And then, after the space of a day, after Jesus has been in the tomb for a day, these women return to the tomb. And they come assuming that Jesus is dead. They brought these spices so that they might go and anoint him. The spices, uh, this anointing, it was a way of honoring people who had died. So they would go into the tomb, and the tomb would have been this kind of hole that was cut in a limestone wall, and they would have found the body of Jesus, and they would have put these spices on it as a way of honoring Jesus. But what that tells us is that these women assumed that Jesus was dead. And we see that again in verse 3. They're saying to one another, as they're going, they keep talking about this, who's going to roll away the stone for us? Because what these women assume is that the stone is still there because what they believe is that Jesus is still dead. 
Now, Jesus has told them, I'm gonna rise again, but they have no idea, they had no idea what that meant. And just like all of us, they have a natural skepticism about this idea of resurrection. Right? It's easy for us to assume kind of in our modern day, like, oh, well, you know, people back then were so gullible, right? People back then were, they were just more superstitious. Or like Michael Scott says, they were at least a little stitious, right? Yeah, they, be- they, they believed in things like resurrection then because they were religiously predisposed to it. Friends, what this text tells us is that that's not true. These women had just as much of a hard time believing in the idea of a resurrection as we do. And so they get to the tomb and they see, uh, they see the stones rolled away. And so they're so curious. They go into the tomb and what they find is a young man sitting on the, ri- on the right side dressed in white and they were alarmed. What probably happened is they saw an angel and it freaked them out. That's what always happens in scripture when people see angels. It freaks them out. That's what happened to these women. And then this angel speaks to them. He says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. And you know what happens? The women get even more afraid. It says they went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They've gotten the shakes. They're so terrified. They're alarmed. Because see, what what they realize is that something monumental has happened when they come to this empty tomb. Because a dead Jesus is something that they could understand. Right? Yes, they were sad about it. Yes, they were in mourning about it, but people, people dying, even people that they revered, it was something that they had a category for. They could fit it into their worldview. And while certainly they were mourning the loss of this man who they believed had made a lot of promises, while they were mourning the loss of the fulfillment of these promises they were hoping for, they had categories for all those things like disappointment. But what they did not have a category for was someone being raised from the dead. That when they were told that, what they knew was that something tectonic had just taken place, a tectonic shift, that there was a tear in the order of the universe. And it terrified them. A claim had been made that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And this narrative raises the same question for us because it puts the same claim in front of us. What will you do with the claim that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead? This text, which is probably the end of the book of Mark, it ends with a conjunction with the word for or because, which if you're an English teacher, right, you would know is a terrible way to end a sentence. It's so awkward. And it was true for, for the, this Greek writing. The way this book ends is awkward. Why is that? It's because it's meant to shake us, to draw us in, to make us confront the same question that these women confronted, the same claim, which is what will you do with the claim that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? because it's a claim that matters. There are people around us who make claims all the time. Like uh, a few weeks ago, I woke up to text on a text thread, uh, the slap kind of heard round Twitter, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And I had, what is going on here? So of course I had to get on the internet and figure out, okay, I guess Will Smith, Chris Rock, this whole thing. And people made this claim, oh, well, it was, it was staged. You could read a lot about that, people's claims that it was staged. Here's the thing, 
it doesn't matter, right? You could spend all kinds of time looking into this and the details of it, watching the video, re-watching the video, watching the face afterwards, but the claim doesn't matter at the end of the day. Our lives are no different if we knew what did or did not happen up on that stage. But if the claim of Jesus Christ rising from the dead is true, that matters. Because it means that we've got to pay attention to all of the other things that Jesus said about himself. And here's what is troubling about this story. Even the way it's narrated here in Mark 16. What's troubling about this story is that it has marks of being true. And when we read that, it should terrify us a little bit. Like, think about the fact that when the women come to this tomb, uh, they come expecting Jesus to be dead. And then when they see him, that they're afraid. If you were writing this story after the fact to kind of legitimate your hold on power, right, which is kind of like a sociological explanation of what's happening here after the fact, is this the way you would write the story? Absolutely not, right? You would have Jesus' disciples, the ones who were leading the movement after he was gone, rush to the tomb and discover him in victory. But that's not what we find at all. We find that Jesus' closest followers, the disciples, are over in a room far away because they're so afraid. No, this story has the marks of being authentic. Even the fact that it was women who were cited as the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Do you know that in this day, that idea was unheard of? that they were so backwards in the way that they thought about, about women that uh, Jewish women were not allowed to testify in court because their testimony was not considered valid. And it wasn't just in the Jewish world, in the Gentile world, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, two centuries after Jesus had died and risen, there's this man named Celsus who was writing against Christianity. And what he said to mock Christians was, oh, the proof that you have is just a bunch of gossip from women anyway. And I say all that to say, what that shows us is that if you were inventing a story, uh, this is not the story that you would invent, right? It has the marks of authenticity because the witnesses that they're giving are not witnesses that were trusted in the world around them. These, are the, these women are given as witnesses because this is what happened. The story has the marks of authenticity. And it leaves us with the question, what are we going to do with this claim about Jesus rising from the dead? People have had all kinds of ideas about it over the course of history. Maybe Jesus just swooned. Maybe he wasn't actually dead. No one ever got off a Roman cross just kind of dead, right? Maybe it was a mass, hallucin- a mass hallucination, except we have no evidence in any scientific literature of mass hallucinations being a thing. Maybe his body was stolen. But if his body was stolen, why would the people who stole it go to the grave and never say anything about that to anyone? You see, what we're left with is this claim that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that claim to us should be, should be to some degree terrifying. Because what it says to us is that our very comfortable materialistic worldview where all that exists is matter and energy, right, that that there is something outside of that worldview that's far more powerful than we can imagine. And that that power has entered into our world to do something beautiful, to bring life into our world. 
And that expands our universe dramatically, not in a physical space way, but it adds a whole an, another dimension to the world that we're living in. That's the event of the resurrection. And that event has all kinds of implications. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying in some ways because it shows that we live in a world that is far beyond our control, far beyond our ability to manage it. And yet, at the same time, it's thrilling because it lights up our souls with hope. And the, enti- the rest of the New Testament is all about unfolding the implications of the resurrection. That's all the New Testament is about. Even, it even goes back into the Old Testament and it starts to see the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus' resurrection and discovers and uncovers for us hope. That we have all of these ways, well, let's say this first, that, uh, that humanity has an enemy, doesn't it? And our historic, ever-present, ancient enemy is death. We have all these ways of trying to get around the idea of death. Like if you think about all the way back, you know, in ancient Egypt, you've got Egyptian pharaohs, right, who have embalmed themselves, stuffed their pyramids with all these treasures as a way of trying to ward off their mortality, of claiming immortality, all the way to Walt Disney being cryogenically frozen, right? We have been trying to ward off death for centuries. Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth or Elon Musk saying he's going to upload his brain to the cloud. These are all ways of wrestling with this enemy of death. There are ways we try to suppress it, push it down. I was listening to NPR the other day and it was about this this plot of land in Tennessee where you can go and have like a natural burial. And they asked someone, they were interviewing someone and they they asked him, "Do do you think we're okay? But after we die and we leave this world, do you think that we're okay? And the man said, well, sometimes I like to think about my body breaking down and becoming a flower and maybe a molecule of me becomes a piece of pollen on the flower that gets attached to a bee and the bee is flying around. So is that okay, he says? No, (laughs) that's not okay, right? That's a way of us pushing down this thing that, we're ter- that we all know uh, that is coming for us and, and at the same time is terrifying. J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, I remember reading an interview with her where she says that she thinks about death daily. She says, my books are largely about death. They open with the death of Harry's parents. If you didn't know that, you should have read the books already, so <laughs> Sorry. My books are largely about death. They open with the death of Harry's parents. There's Voldemort's obsession with conquering death, his quest for immortality at any price. It's the goal of anyone with magic. She says, I so understand why Voldemort wants to conquer death. We're all frightened of it. Yes. Thank you, J.K. Rowling, for telling us the truth. And what, what this event of the resurrection tells us is that there was a time, that this was the time that death did not win. There was a time when death did not have the final world, a final word. That this was the time when the grave did not win. When the person who was sit, sent down into it didn't stay but came back up. That here on Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus Christ defeated death. That he dealt death a death blow. 
He made a mockery of its power. And when God raised him, he disarmed death. Romans 6, 5 says it like this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The promise of this resurrection event is that in the same way Jesus has defeated death, that though we will all taste death, that death does not have to be the final word for us either. That the promise of the resurrection is also for us. That our death will not hold us. And that there will be a day that we will be resurrected just as Jesus was resurrected in the same kind of resurrection body. And that we'll be resurrected into a new heavens and a new earth. A new heavens and a new earth where Christ reigns as king. Where the lion lays down with the lamb, where all of our swords and weapons of war have been turned into plowshares, is what scripture says. Man, what is that going to be like? Friends, I don't know. Sometimes I think my imagination is not good enough for it. But the hope is still there. That our ability to, our, our imaginations, all of the attempts that we make to grasp it, they're good and, and, they, and they grow hope in us and yet the hope that we have is not dependent on our ability to grasp it. It's not dependent on our ability to understand it because it's so much bigger and so much more beautiful than that. And sometimes, uh, when I stand up here and I look at, and I look at you guys, uh, I feel like I get a little taste of what it's going to be like. Because I'm reminded that we'll be there together. And that when we see each other there, I think that there will be a moment where we don't recognize each other. Because what we will see is so glorious. Because we'll be seeing each other as we were created to be. But then, uh, like with Jesus, when the disciples hear him speak, they recognize him. That when we hear each other speak, we'll say, oh, of course. This is the you that I always knew. That that's, that's the new heavens and the new earth that we're going to get to be in together with our resurrected Jesus. That's our hope. That's the hope that we have because of the resurrection. And that's the hope that we practice bringing into our, day, our day-to-day lives, day in and day out. Tim Keller says it like this about the way that that resurrection hope comes into our current day. He says, to the extent that that future is real to you, it will change everything about how you live in the present. For example, why is it so hard to face suffering? Why is it so hard to face disability and disease? Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you money, reputation, maybe even your life? Why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of loved ones? It's so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. It's easy to feel as if this money is the only wealth we'll ever have, as if this body is the only body we'll ever have. But if Jesus is risen, but because Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain than that. 
And the journey that we are on here together as a community is the journey of strengthening each other in that hope, of bringing that hope in the future here into the present. It's that, the, it's that journey that we're on together, it's that hope that we're dragging into the present that even gives us purpose as we live here in our day-to-day lives. Because what Jesus tells us is that kingdom that's coming, that new heavens and the new earth, he's told us it's here. And he says, it's breaking in. Can you hear it? Do you see it? He says it's like the tiniest seed that grows into this beautiful tree in the garden. But it starts small and it's humble. That's the kingdom of heaven and it's here now. And that what he has invited us into is the, is the adventure of participating in that kingdom in the here and now. That we say that in the kingdom of God is a kingdom where the weak Uh, are made strong, right? Where strength is projected through weakness. That the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom where forgiveness triumphs over vengeance. That the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom where the law of the kingdom is love. Not the wishy-washy stuff that we get talked talked about so often in our world. Not the kind of love that we encounter so often that has no ability to sacrifice or to suffer. That kind of love, it, it doesn't have legs. Now we're called to a kingdom whose law is love and a, and a law of love that gives us the strength that we need to love people in the world around us even when it hurts. To seek the flourishing and the goodness of, of people around us. That is the adventure that we're called into. It's the purpose uh, that the resurrection brings into our life. And the resurrection also brings us power. Because if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. That the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that is at work in you. It's the same spirit who is empowering your life now. That facing this life of hope, coming into this life with purpose, that can be a scary thing, can't it? It's risky. It's calling us out into places we have never been before. And if we're going to go in those places, if we're going to go on that adventure with Jesus of being hopeful people, of being kingdom-minded people, of being loving people, friends, we are going to need power for that, aren't we? And the promise of the resurrection is that same power that was at work in Jesus is now at work in you. That that is the power that through you Jesus is unleashing into the world. It's not the power of the world. It's not political power. It's not power that lifts ourselves up. No, it's the power that gives us the strength uh, to suffer and to love each other and the world well. So yes, the resurrection is terrifying. And it's also incredibly hopeful. It brings purpose. It brings power into our lives. And it leaves us with an invitation The church, the invitation of the resurrection is that you would come, that we would come and walk in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. That we would come and live in the hope, in the love, in the power of the faith that he's given us. Church, you've been united to Christ. The invitation is that you would come and that you would join the song, that you would join the dance of what Jesus is about in your life and out in the world. 
And maybe you've been away from this whole thing, <laughs> this crazy, messy, loud, beautiful thing called the church for a long time. Yes. The invitation is that you would come here to Jesus, to the Jesus who has brought you freedom. And maybe uh, this is all new to you. This idea of Jesus' resurrection, the idea that, the, that it's not a story from a long time ago, but it's a story that matters for now. The invitation is this, because if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The invitation of the resurrection is that we would come and put our faith in this Jesus who has died, but more than that, been, been risen, who has been raised by God uh, for us to give us hope, to give us purpose, to give us power, to pour God's love into our hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the gift and the promise of your resurrection. Jesus, would you... Uh, call us more and more deeply into the hope and the faith uh, of that. Would you give us the faith to walk into the hope of that, Lord? Uh, Would you, through your Holy Spirit, give us the power that we need to walk in the hope of that? Jesus, would you make us uh, a hoping and a loving community? Lord, as we worship now in response, uh, would you draw us deeper into that? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.